Good evening, everybody. I am Trey Heath, the host of the Beyond the Curve, the MX podcast. MJ Adonis was a co-host on one of the episodes of the Beyond the Curve, the MX podcast. Mm -hmm. Today, we are branching off a little bit. It's now, this is going to be the Beyond the Curve, the MX podcast goes off-road. And we are starting with our inaugural episode, 33.5. You got that right. If you're a motocross person and you don't want to listen to these, if you see a .5 episode, it's the off-road version. Mm -hmm. If you're an off-road guy and you don't want to listen to the motocross stuff, it's the whole number version. So we're going to keep it easy. They'll be on the Beyond the Curve, the MX uh, podcast platform on uh, all your podcast providers, but it will be on YouTube on its own, mm -hmm. standalone. The reason we're starting it now is because why not? It was the last race of the season, kind of the Monaco, the Daytona 500, the Indy 500 for GNCC, mm -hmm. Ironman. And MJ raced there. So we're going to talk about Ironman. We're mm -hmm. going to talk about GNCC, the year in review. We're going to talk about maybe some of the highlights, lowlights, anything that we want to touch on. But MJ has to lead that conversation because he actually does the races. I'm just a fan. So, MJ, how was Ironman this year? Well, Ironman was uh, very good. The weather on race days, both race days, was perfect. Um, I don't think we could have asked for any better. Friday was a little little soggy. It was raining a little bit throughout the day and overcast. Soggy. I heard they had to like tow people in almost. Uh, I think they had to tow a couple people in, but okay. you know it made it made conditions on Saturday and Sunday absolutely prime. I don't think they could have gotten any better um, because there was no dust and there was no mud other than the the creek crossings, yeah. of course, which that's a given whether it's dusty or not. So there was no dust, and like I said, there was no like you weren't getting a lot of mud in your face. It was I don't think conditions could have gotten any better. Like I said, so Ironman as a whole. Perfect. Uh, I think I think there um, a lot of people. GNCC, I believe, said that they approximated fifty thousand people to have been there throughout the weekend this weekend. That is, I that mean, is that's just crazy. an unfathomable yeah. amount. I mean, that's like a that's like a, if you fill every seat in a college football stadium, yeah. in some of those stadiums, or even an NFL stadium, depending on the stadium. That many people are at a GNCC race, which on average probably pull, which you can correct me here if you might have a little bit more research and knowledge on it, probably pull anywhere between ten to twenty thousand a race, if even that high. Probably yeah, with, maybe ten to fifteen with families and um, you know, not ten to fifteen thousand racers, yeah. but um, but I will say there was close to five hundred racers in just my race alone. I believe that the final total was four hundred and eighty something. I think. And it's a lot of quads going. That around That is the track. a lot of quads going around the, tr the track. But I believe in, um, on Sunday, uh, between the eight o'clock race and the ten o'clock race, there was over a thousand. Wow! Just between those two races, there was over a thousand racers. Why does that race draw so many people? I think because because you don't race the Ironman track. No, like they're just they're just there. I mean. At the end of the day, there's probably between two and three thousand racers there. So what are the other forty-seven thousand yeah. people that they're there to party? Party. At the end of the day, that's what it is. It's kind of like snowshoe. 
Do they still do the concerts? They do do the concerts. They do a concert Friday night and Saturday night. Um, I can't remember who they had playing this year because, of course, I was asleep in my hotel room getting ready for the next day. But um, it's just a big party. Not as big of a party as Snowshoe. Like, you don't see people walking around with cases of beer and stuff like that. But um, I believe it's the – I want to say maybe the nostalgia, nostalgia of it just because a lot of championships come down to yeah. the final race. I remember in 2014, Chris Borch and Walker Fowler coming down to the last corner. They were T-boning each other going into the corners. So I think there's just a lot of – it's it's action-packed racing, and I think that brings a lot of people into the to this race in particular. Yeah. I know on the motorcycle side, I mean, kind of a surprise winner, uh, Josh Strang. Yeah. You know, like, oh, yeah, he's still racing. Yeah. Like, he, he won. Um on the quad side, Bryson Neal on the sport bike side, Bryson mm-hmm. Neal got the win plus the championship, right? Correct. He, he, I believe he locked it up the last round, though. Okay. But he did also, of course, win the And overall. then on the morning 4x4 pro side, man, local guy, Brandon Frazier, three points away from a championship. Mm-hmm. That would have been pretty cool to, to see, but not, not a bad year. Not a no, bad year. Not on, a bad on, year at all. On a uh, basically a shrunken side by side i mean yeah <laughs> side note we live near one another and today uh, i heard something crank up and i said zach did you click the button on your truck because it kind of had the dull roar mm-hmm. he goes dude that's a v8 and i was like nope <laughs> that's mj's quad <laughs> <laughs> but there it's it's just a beast of a machine so yeah uh, those four by fours are are, are beast but an overall good weekend. I, I know the, the, the lady that won the championship, she also won the race as mm-hmm. well. Jessica Elioff. Um, so just a good racing weekend. Um, lots of people were getting into the fall weather. So your mm-hmm. dad was telling me it was 34 Saturday yes. morning. And then by the time you raced, it was 50-ish. Mm-hmm. But uh, this race is so big, they have to split the morning race on the bike side into two morning races. Mm-hmm. I did it a couple of years ago. The eight o'clock race, it's still dark. Yeah, it's dark. It's like, still dark. We dove off into the woods, and ironically, there was a dude behind me that had a light on his motorcycle. So I like followed him. I like let him pass me and then followed him because I couldn't see anything. Your dad was telling me this year they didn't dive you guys straight off into the woods. You did a more of a field section start Correct. this year. Yeah, it was a little weird actually. Every year that I've been to Ironman, you know, you you take about four or five corners and you're straight off into the woods well this year we had about i'd say solid half mile worth of field before we even went into the woods maybe quarter between a quarter and half mile i think um but i think it set the racing up good because it kind of dispersed you out a little bit and i think another reason why they did it which i could be totally wrong and just be speculating here (laughs) but because there's so many racers, yeah. I think they wanted to kind of space everybody out so you weren't bunching up right into the wood section. Yeah, I took a shot going up because we had to go up, was it called Triple Peaks or whatever? Uh, at twin, the, twin, twin Hills? It's either Twin Hills or Twin Peaks. Yeah, we went up one of those right at the start, and, dude, I sideswiped a guy that stalled, and that hurts. When, oh, you're, yeah. when you're going full throttle up a hill, I'm, I'm guessing that was maybe that to – kind of try to space everybody mm-hmm. out but um how was the track layout this year I, 
it's never going to be completely new because they have such established trails. Yeah. But how was the layout this year? I believe the layout was really good this year. Um, like I said, the trails were prime this this year. So um, I think they could have ran us anywhere throughout the property, and it would have been a great race. Um, how were the creek crossings this year? The creek crossings, there was one that was a little deep, um, but as long as you just took it slow, it was good. But I think we had uh, – three or four this year oh wow um i saw one so, of them um they were showing the morning motorcycle race and um it looked like if you stayed on the rocks you could kind of sneak yeah. across but uh that's not always the fastest line so if you want to no. get damp you you can you can take it i have another question though this race on the motorcycle side you'll get by the way guys this is copper dog copper is is he thinks he's gonna be on tv um <laughs> but uh the motorcycle race always seems to draw, like, stars. Oh, Justin Starling came out and raced. Jason Lawrence, who hasn't raced in 13 years, came out. For some reason, people still care about him. I don't know why, but people still yeah. care about Jason Lawrence. Uh, Jamie Guida from Vital MX came out and ran the 45B class. And you always get these guys that come out. Does that ever happen on the quad side? Do you get, do you get like, stars of yesteryear or people coming out that – don't normally ride yes and no um it's kind of people in the sport that used to race but then opened up their own business in the racing industry like um a big one this year was ryan smith who owns bnr motorsports he raced um this year and they typically come out firing the first lap or so he led the overall the first lap and then just right right to the back but um you know, we don't really have these, like, MX guys that come over and race, yeah. you know. It's not like it's a big, um, you know, crossover like you'd see in, like, a TV show or something. It's it's typically guys that are already in the sport that may have used to have raced, and now they're back. Um, um, a couple guys, I think, um, I think there was a, a couple more. Um, like, I know a couple years ago, well, actually, I think this year, Mark Notman, who is Walker Fowler, Hunter Hart, and... Uh, Josh Merritt and I probably a couple other people that he does some side work for but he raced um, I don't think he raced the entire one because obviously he has to get Walker ready yeah, for yeah. the PM race and his other riders but I, I believe I saw his name in there so it's just typically in the people in the sport that don't race the entire year and they just they come out they here just, yep exactly yeah. I will say last race uh, I believe it was last race at the Buckwheat 100 um, Joel Hetrick, oh, yeah. who was the um, motocross. Guy. Yep, yeah. Motocross. I think he's three-time, three or four-time uh, AMA Pro Motocross, uh, ATV MX Motocross um, champion. He came out and raced, and he actually did a decent showing against the Wood guys. I mean, he was top twenty overall yeah. coming from the MX uh, side. So, you know, just what? just stuff like just people like that. Well, how does it make you feel? I know you don't get like. I didn't get to see any comments from, from like a Joel, but Justin Starling said, man, this was brutal, but it was also fun. Mm -hmm. And he's already trying to see if he can do some more next year. How does it make you feel? I know you're on the quad side, but how does it make you feel when kind of like the off-road world out West is starting to grow? There's always been this GNCC, but people are doing them now. And it's kind of like, Hey, this isn't so bad. How yeah. does, 
does it make you feel like you get a little bit more publicity and and news because like there's a big push out west for the NEPC or something, and then they're they're uh, they got two different series going out mm-hmm. west where guys are like running pro classes and making a living. Yeah. Um, how does it make you feel to see that respect from a, a straight up professional motocross guy? Um, for me, in my mind, I think it's pretty cool. You know, you grow up as a cross-country racer. I've done it my entire life. I'm not on the bike side, obviously, but at least on the quad side, and I'm sure it's even worse on the bike side because pro motocross and supercross is such a big, big light in that side of the sport. Um, Where, you know, you grow up and these MX guys, they don't really come out and say it. Well, some of them do, but they they almost think less of you because you race cross-country, you don't race MX. So for MX guys, you know, you can talk until you're blue in the face as a cross-country guy. You know, it is hard, you know, like it's not like a walk in the park. So when a motocross guy comes out and and, and races it and, you know, kind of agrees with you, you know, like it it is, it's not, it's not the most easiest thing in the world. I mean, I know Supercross isn't easy. I know I I couldn't race Supercross and sprint for 20 minutes straight, especially pro motocross sprinting for, I know that sounds weird. I race for two hours, but I can't race for 30 minutes, but that's a totally different pace they're running. You know, we can kind of pace ourselves over two hours, but long story long, back to your original question. It makes me feel good kind of seeing the representation that for lack of better words, almost that we deserve. And I, I will say GNCC has done a very good job. Um, I feel like they kind of had a mindset shift coming into this year um, on what they need to do to get their name out more, get their publicity. You know, we got the drone shots. The drone came on board this year for Racer TV, the live coverage. And that has made a huge, huge difference in the, like, I don't even stay and watch the pro race anymore after my race. I just go watch the YouTube live coverage yeah. on my way home because it's so much better. You, they literally follow them throughout the entire track. And there might be one or two really heavy wooded sections where you can't get yeah. to it. But that has made a huge stepping stone. And I feel like GNCC as a whole has really started. Like they hired on two new announcers this year along with Mikey yep. Wayne. Young guys too. Like young guys. Very young, young guys. Yeah. And um, they do a good job. And, and you, yeah. don't get, you don't get a lot of like I was when I was watching your race – they have the broadcast going. They're sitting at the booth, and, mm-hmm. and I think there was only 188 people at that time listening. But if you go to a local motocross race or you go to an amateur national, unless it's Loretta's, you're not getting a play-by-play broadcast no. of the 65 race. You're, yeah. you're, and you guys were getting, like, they're talking about what's going on. They're talking about... You know who's who's leading, and mm-hmm. they'll run through the reason. It, it's not perfect, but for God's sakes, there's 13 or 14 classes running yeah. at one time, and so at least they're trying. Yeah, yeah. Like in previous years, it was just the yeah. afternoon race, yep. and that was it. And that, that's it. And you know, we don't really get the video coverage. It's impossible. Exactly. I mean, how long was your track this weekend? I mean, my track was, I want to say, upwards of 10 miles. Yeah. I think. I mean, think about that. They they got the drone coverage, which is awesome, and they've. I don't know who these drone pilots are because motocross this year nailed it gcc is nailing it with the drone it's like 
I don't know where these guys have learned, taught, it fought. It takes insane <laughs> skill to be able to <laughs> do that. They're really good. And I know there's guys that can fly through my house yeah. in their drones, so I'm not doubting. But these pro motocross guys and GNCC guys that have mastered this craft, they're really good. And yeah. the coverage for a sport that is between 10 and 13 miles on mm-hmm. a track, that they're able to cover it and the announcers can announce what's going on exactly because there's what two or three checkpoints per lap yeah they can kind of keep up with stuff and um but no i i just from from a guy who does it um at the level you do it uh which by the way congratulations you're moving up to a next year so you'll be thank you four by four a get to move up another step in the line Mm -hmm. um it's cool to it'll be fun to sit down and talk and yes we will also talk about the bike side of it too because we both like that side yeah. of it. We'll, we'll, we will talk about the races. But that being said, we started this on the last race of the season. <laughs> Why not? Because there's an off season, which this weekend, there's an FTR race in Bartow. If you're around town, come to Bartow, 80 mm-hmm. foot road, Cox Road, I think. And I think it's right off Cox Road. Right off Cox Road on 80 foot road there. And they'll be racing all weekend, literally. Saturday through Sunday, nonstop, twenty bucks per car load. Yep, bring as many people as you. You can and have a clown car full. It's yeah, twenty bucks. Twenty bucks. You get in, and you can watch some pros, lots of amateurs, on all different kinds of bikes and quads. But this weekend, and you were going to do a fun little fun thing this weekend. You were going to ride the motorcycle and the quad. Mm-hmm. But you have gotten the opportunity. Explain to us, Mid East, which is a sub series. I'm going to say this, a sub-series of GNCC. Yeah. They never race when GNCC races. They always race on GNCC off weekends. Mm-hmm. Their last race is this weekend Correct. in Hickory, North Carolina, right? I believe so. And you're going to do something fun for, excuse my French, shits and giggles. Yeah. What are you doing this weekend? So this weekend, I will be um, doing a buddy race. Um, it's just it's a class that's in the typical or the normal 1 p.m. race that's there. On Saturday, excuse me, it's just a, a class that you can race, um, but it, it's a, I think you can have up to three riders. Um, I'm just doing it with my friend uh, Brian Voigt, um, and we will be racing his 250 hybrid this weekend, um, which... And why are you excited about that? I'm excited about that because um, when I was at that age oh, range... Oh, we have Roxy, and this is I, Roxy. When I was in that age range, we uh, okay, I raced okay. a Raptor 250, okay. not a 250 hybrid, um, just because the age classes and the running so many different series at the time, GNCC, FTR, all that stuff, it just made more sense to go that route. So, and for the motorcycle people who may not know what this means, because I'm sure a lot of you guys are motorcycle people, not quad people, um, you basically take a 450 quad chassis whatever one you want trx 450 yamaha yfc 450 and you take a dirt bike 250 motor um, two stroke four stroke four stroke okay four stroke 250 um you can also do it with a 125 but the thing with the 125s is the clutch doesn't hold up with the extra weight of everything so you you're smoking top ends and clutches so but you take a 250 out of a 250 motor harness all that jazzy stuff and you put it in a 450 quad chassis because the reason why you got to do that is you know you might be big enough to race on a 450 
but you're not old enough. I don't know what the rules are for dirt bike, but on a quad, you can't race a 450 till you turn 16. So the way we kind of get around that rule is we stuff a 250 motor, um, which is in the age range, uh, or is in the motor range for your age group, which I believe is 13 to 16 or 14 to 17, something like that. And that's how you get around that rule. So I was never able to do that. So now I am excited to uh, be blessed with that opportunity to be able to do that this weekend. And you're racing. I heard this track was like at an airport. An it air, is. An airport. It is at an active airport, which Mideast just released a uh, press release on Facebook saying that anybody who is found on the airstrip will be kicked out because... It's kind of like a federal offense, I think, probably. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think, I think so. it's like a federal offense. But, but I thought about that. You're at an airport. Work with me here. Track promoters. Race promoters. Let's start... There's a track in Finland where they run an MXGP. Mm -hmm. It's right next to an airport. Guess what no one's ever going to complain about at this track? Travel. Noise. Oh, noise. Noise. Because guess what's taking off? Airplanes. Airplanes. All the time. So one weekend, there's a race. It's like, duh. What are we doing? Like, what a great place to have a track. Yeah. Right next to an airport. I was way off with the travel, but... <laughs> well, I mean, on the right, I think they think you could fly into Finland. I, you know what? I don't know where you'd fly into Finland. But <laughs> for the right people, you know, they yes. might be able to fly their planes into there. But, but so this weekend's strictly for fun. It, it's, yes, the season's over. strictly for fun. And I think that was the point of my whole off-season stuff is GNCC now takes a well-deserved break. You guys mm -hmm. start back in February or March? I, uh, it's February. Well, late February. Typically, it's in February. The schedule should be released at the banquet, which is um, the middle of December. Um, Ooh, okay. But typically, it's the second to last weekend in February. Okay. So you got a nice little off, off season. Mideast has their last race. Mm -hmm. And that means everybody transitions down to Florida because Florida is in the middle of their season. Correct. And yep. as soon as you get home from this race, you start battling in the sands of Florida. Oh, yes. Um, on two different bikes now. What is the off-season going to look like for you as far as training, rebuild, riding the motorcycle versus the quad? What does all that look like for an off-road guy who mostly does GNCC? So, the my off-season is going to be a little bit different this year. I've never had the dirt bike to cross-train on, so to speak. Well, I did towards the end of last year. But um, didn't really capitalize on the opportunity, so to speak. I kind of, you know, blew, blew the wind on that one. But um, this year we plan on racing as, many, as much as we can, really. Um, I, I'm a firm believer that, yes, you need to do your training off the, off the racetrack. You need to go to the gym. You need to do all that stuff. Not saying I am the best at doing that, but... I see your physique. <laughs> you know, we got a little belly going on here, but... Um, proven results come from hard work and, but I'm also a firm believer. There's nothing, there's nothing better than racing. Um, so if you have the opportunity to, that has a series that is racing during your off season, I believe you need to take it. I mean, it is a little bit more risk and obviously a lot uh, more costly because instead of having that off season, you're racing and continuing to put money into it. But, um, and I say it's risky just due to the fact, prime example, Walker Fowler um, at yeah. the beginning of this year. He was at a local FTR race and his bike cut out, uh, out 
Um, I think it just completely died on him, whether the kill switch went out. I'm not too sure what happened, but um, he was on top of the whoops, flipped, landed right on his head, uh, and broke his back and was out for majority of the yeah. season. So it is a, there's a risk, but I believe that there's also a great reward. So, um, again, long story long, getting back to your question, um, I think my offseason looks uh, just a bunch of riding, a bunch of racing, um, probably a bunch of riding the dirt bike. Um, big reason in that is it's a lot more cost effective. You know, when you have yeah. these big, big machines, especially on a four by four, if something goes wrong on them, they're, a, they're very expensive to fix. Not saying that motorcycles don't, or dirt bikes don't have their moments. You know, you grenade your engine, yeah. then you're three grand right there. But, you know, on the four by four, you know, you blow your front diff out, there's $1,800. You blow your rear diff out, that's $2,100. You blow your transmission, well, you know, yeah. you're, you're buying a whole new transmission at that point. So it's a lot more cost effective to cross train on a dirt bike. And I think another um, person who has brought that to light is Cole Richardson, who just finished number three on the season in XC1 and overall on the quad side. He has been cross training pretty much all year on a dirt bike. And I think it's really been paying off, not only literally paying off for the pocketbook, but also in his in his uh, riding and and training like he even yeah. raced Ironman this year uh, after his race on Sunday he went out uh, or uh, after his race on Saturday he went out back on Sunday and raced his dirt bike in the uh, 10 o'clock race oh did they let him I didn't know you could mm-hmm. oh. I don't know what class he raced whether it was industry or sportsman yeah, yeah. sportsman or something like that that's cool but well I mean you can get hurt I mean you were talking there's a few points you touched on one if if you could see there's a dirt field out here mm-hmm you can get hurt out here. Oh, yeah. Um, we've had injuries out here. <laughs> and so, yeah, you, if, you're on the, if you're on a piece of powered equipment or an animal with its own brain, yep. you can get hurt. Uh, economically, I think the bike, I mean, honestly, I think you're going to get to see the track completely differently. Mm-hmm. You're not going to forget. Formula One drivers don't get to practice in Formula One cars. Correct. Very often. Yeah. They have some testing. They have different things. Most of the time, IndyCar drivers, they're driving prototypes. One of the guys I just listened to, he's going back and doing some karting because he loves karting. And he's going to go do some karting just to work on smoothness of corners. Um, I don't think that cross-training thing, we all focus so much, but you need to be on the bike. You need to be on the bike. Well, guess what? I think I could, if I was a good mountain biker... I could go downhill mountain bike and probably get something out of that while for my dirt bike stuff. Absolutely. So I think economically it makes sense. Why not go have some fun? Like, you're yeah. not going to go Baja. Well, maybe you will, but you're not going to go Baja and, like, try to hurt yourself. You're going to work on technique, yep. which you might take something of that back. I know your quad's the size of a couch, but you still have to try to squeeze it. Well, guess what you're going to have to do on that bike? Squeeze it. You're going to have to squeeze it. Well, if you can get the habit of doing that, yeah, maybe it'll be better when you hop back on the couch and go zoom yeah. zoom. So, and I don't mean zoom zoom. I mean like. Bruh, bruh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not even a four strokes. Like four strokes, like you know, the two strokes are like bing bing bing. Four strokes like. Bruh. This is like. Just like a V eight. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think I think that's good, and and I think it's good. I do believe the seat time. We can't really call them gate drops. What do we call them? Flag waves. Like what? I guess. What do we, what All right, we, FTR. It's a horn. 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 Horn blows. <laughs> horn like, blows. Horn blows. Flag waves. I mean, we can't really say gate drops because no, we, yeah. we don't really. 
we don't really drop a gate, but um, so will it be pretty exclusive FTR through uh, I guess November, December, January? And when does does Mid East start before? Is there like a preseason Mid East race before? There is typically a Mid East um, the week before GNCC, and it they they try and plan it um, to where it's at the same property every year, which is about five minutes down the road from the first the GNCC, oh, okay. the first GNCC. So okay. they're all kind of intertwined. GNCC and Mid East, like you yeah. said, it's kind of a sub series. Like Ricky Towery, he is. Pretty much the guy at Mid East, yeah. so and I don't want to say that derogatory. It's it's like a it's a great practice session, no. and they don't they and they it can, is a great series overall. Yeah. Like this weekend for the quads, um, which I will look it up before the end of this podcast, probably when you're talking about something. But I believe the quad payout for this weekend overall, I want to say is three thousand dollars for first wow. place. Two thousand wow. dollars for second place and a thousand. That may be on the dirt bike side because I know the dirt bikes is higher payout. So I could have got them mixed up here. So I, I will look it up before yeah. we before we end this podcast. But uh, that's another thing that Mideast does is they do regular payouts every. So it's bringing people to the track. Yeah. You know, I you know I have no ties to FTR, and if you do, then I do not speak on behalf of you. But I think that's what FTR lacks is. The FTR is a huge series. It's a great series. It's massive, yeah. But I think they lack the, number one, publicity, and number two, you know, if you want these high-profile riders to come down and ride your series, which at the end of the day, everybody does, because it, yet again, it brings more publicity, yeah. brings more people in. You need to, that's, that's how these guys make their living. They're not showing up to a race just for fun at the end of the day. That's why I'm going to Dade City on Saturday is because Ryland's coming down to run the money race. Exactly. So the, the money races are a big deal. Like earlier this year, Mideast did another race like this where they had a huge payout, and there was eight XC1 guys wow. on the on the pro pro line at Mideast. Makes that guy that thought, hey, I'm going to go get some money. It makes yeah. it tough for him. So it's like if you want these high-profile guys at your series, unfortunately – for the series, you got to come up with money. You don't get one or the, you don't get one or the other. You got to bring both. I believe it's Jason Wygant, who is a Racer X Production employee. Um, Racer, he's one of the best announcers. And the joke with him is, if you're paying, I'm saying. Oh yeah. And it's for these racers. If you're paying, I'll come race, because you're right. That is how they make their money. And even if they want the seat time. If they have the opportunity to pay for the weekend, because on a race like that, they're not making money, but they paid for everything. Absolutely. So it was a free race weekend. Um, and there's contingency and different things like that. And um, But you're, I don't have any affiliations with FTR either, but the series is the largest series in the state of Florida, which is funny because it's an off-road series. Yeah. There are multiple motorcycle series. There's, it is the largest motorcycle series in the state of Florida. And... You were talking about publicity, and I, I was thinking to myself, dude, they're already tapped out right now. I don't know if they need any publicity. Yeah. Like, but they are. They would be the Mideast. But right. they also run their own schedule, so there's overlap between National Enduros and uh, GNCC. And Obviously, so, Mideast this weekend. You know? But we're so far to the south that people are like, well, if you want to run those, you go run those. If you, They don't cooperate with the other series yeah. because... They just don't feel like they have to. 
and I don't know if that side of it, the economic side of that, trying to go after sponsors, because for a while they were trying to do some payouts mm-hmm. for the AA class on the bike side. And, you know, it's, I get it. I understand their model. I understand Mideast model. I understand all, I understand them all. I don't care. I, there needs to be a place for everybody to race. Yeah. And let me tell you, if you can come do a season in FTR in the sand, good on you. Yeah. But it's kind of like if you take me and you put me in a, in the Mideast series, I remember racing in Morganton, North Carolina in a downpour and barely being able to, because we raced inside the speedway. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I barely made it around the speedway in that the track they had because I didn't know how to ride on mud and slick mud mm-hmm. uh, and clay. That clay base. So we, if you want to try some different stuff, branch out. And during the off season, it's a great time to do it. And if you want to go for championships, pick a series and go do it and just go have fun. Mm-hmm. Like, go have fun. At the you're end of the day, that's better. what we're doing. Yeah, we're buying memories. Better. Yeah. Exactly. We're spending money for plaques. Yep. And uh, and guess what? $3 wooden plaques. <laughs> or Most plastic. of us don't even get one. Yeah. But we have fun sitting around with our friends. And I think that's where a lot of people in the off-road world, and I, that's one of the things as we get further into it, is I want to talk about that family environment because you go to these races, you go to a motocross race and everybody's in their own little trailer and... They're hoping little Timmy doesn't have a good race because little Johnny needs a good race because there's a team here looking. You go to an off-road race, dude, there are guys helping each other on bikes. There are families cooking out. There, mm-hmm. The racing, yes, is tough. But it's just a little bit nicer. And that's not because I love motocross. Yeah. I, 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 It's just a little different. The family vibe is a little more. And... I think people see that. I think that's why there's been such a big growth in the motocross or in the off-road world mm-hmm. is because people are, uh-oh, uh-oh, we had a broken dish, Opa. But uh, <laughs> I think that's what happens is we have those environments of people getting excited to spend time with their families yes. and they go race their two-hour race. They pack up their stuff and they go home. Whereas in motocross, you race, you practice, you race five laps. You wait three hours, you race five laps, yeah. and then you're done. Maybe you race some more classes, but you're kind of done. Yeah. So, but did you find out what you were looking for? I did find it. So I did have it a little backwards, and if you bear with me for a minute, because there is a little bit here. Um, so the pro bike payout is 3000 1500 1900 800 700 down the line. And then the pro quad payout is 2,000, 1,500, 1,800, 500, 400, 300, 200. It's not a bad weekend's work, though. No, I mean, they're for the quads, at least, that's two, four, six, eight. They're paying out the eighth place overall. Yeah. I mean, not bad. Even the $200 guy, luckily, I'm going this weekend, and like I said, I'm, I'm racing a bike that's going to be already prepped for me. I have no expense. I mean, shoot, the family I'm racing with this weekend didn't even let me pay for my entry fee this weekend. <laughs> so I'm going to have no expense other than gas. So. You know, if I were to get $200, let's say I get eighth overall, not going to happen, but I get eighth overall and, you know, I get that $200 payout, that pays for all my fuel, all yeah. my food, you know, maybe one night of stay at a hotel, yeah. depending on what hotel it is, you know, if it's a sketchy one or a halfway decent one. So, like you said, you're not making money, but you're at least breaking even, yeah. which makes it a little bit better of a pill to swallow. And I, and I think that's 
part of the fun of the off-road side. And like where Derek and I on the motocross side of the podcast, mm-hmm. we talk about the amateur side and we're diving into some of the pro stuff. Where on the off-road side, the amateur and the pros are together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same weekend. so And sometimes is, the same race. Yeah, sometimes the same race. So that separation of like this weekend, they're having this money race at Dade City. Well, they do that to draw in people. But on a normal weekend, you may have your pro class, but it's not really your pro class. Your yeah. pros are at a supercross or a motocross or right. yeah. some big ferry somewhere. And in the off-road side, all the top AA guys in Florida are going to be in FTR this weekend. Yeah. And guess what? They're going to be racing with the C200 guys on the same race. Yeah. And that's the difference. Um, I think this weekend... The FTR course is 14 and a half miles for the bikes. 14 and a half miles. That's a, that's a big course. That is that's a, a long that course. That is a long course. So think about for 14 and a half miles, if you leave my house and drive to my office, you still have to go another mile. That's crazy. And, and That is crazy. So that's, that is the length of the course. So the off-road side, if we can educate, if we can entertain... We'll bring stuff to it. We're going to try to be regular. I actually want to sit down next week and do another I one. Do I well. want to talk about the how your experience was on the, um, the, the, the bike. And I also want to talk about what it was like up in Hickory and the weather. And, and I want you to bring that kind of stuff to the table because I think it's neat that there's other things going on. Because as soon as you get back, we're going to dive back into FTR for the, yep. remainder, of the remainder of the year. So um, anything else you want to bring up? Before we close out this episode, um, two things. I'll start with the the one that doesn't pertain to this podcast as a whole. I just want to talk about the, um, which I'll pull it up right now. The finishing of the bike pro race this weekend. If you look at the XC One guys, they all finished within. So, first place finished, which was Josh Strang. And then Stu Baylor finished 1.1 seconds behind Josh Strang. John, Johnny Girard finished 0.5 seconds behind Stu Baylor. Grant Baylor, who's Stu's brother, obviously, finished 2 seconds behind Johnny Girard. And Ricky Russell who I want to say was out for some of this season with so an too. injury, yeah. finished one second behind uh, Grant Baylor. So wow. they were all within... Ten what, seconds of one yeah. yeah, basically. The XC1 wow. line was... And what was the what was the time? What was the... This, it was five laps or six laps? So it was six laps, and they were... I think it's on a different page. Let me get it. They raced for two hours and 41 minutes. Two so, hours and 41 minutes, and they were within 10 seconds of one another. So, Josh Strang finished at two hours, 41 second, or sorry, two hours, 41 minutes even. And Ricky Russell, who finished fifth, finished at two hours and 41 minutes and five seconds. So, they were all within five seconds of each other. I have a question. I thought... And this is where my na- naivety, yeah, my naiveness. Naiveness. Yeah. There you go. Naivety. I don't know. I can't. Say, I've never been able to say that word. I thought they had to run at least two forty-five. 
That is a possibility. I don't know the bike rules. I know okay. the quad rules, I believe, is at least... I think the quad is at least one hour and 50 Four. minutes. Okay. Because our race is one hour and 40 minutes, the AM race. We have to run at least an hour and 40. Okay. Which we ended up doing five laps this weekend, which kind of surprised me. Um, oh, I watched you guys come in. You came I in. I figured we'd be Yeah, you four, guys but. came in a little, a little quick. And I think, obviously, the leader came through, and he was burning it up. And, yeah, uh, he was fine. So he, he came through a little quick, because you came through at the hour and 40-minute mark, roughly, for the check-in. And so if I was leading, we wouldn't have done five yeah, laps. Have been done. But, <laughs> but no, I was just curious. I know that those there is a standard for those. Correct. But no, I don't know the bike side, but but the bike side three three hours three hours, and everybody was that close within five seconds. And of they each were other. pushing one another. And I that just, track was gnarly. And especially for Josh Strang to come out and get the win this weekend, he has had so much adversity this year, and <laughs> I know he's he's dealt with all the comments on. All the comments on Facebook, oh, this old man, he shouldn't even be racing anymore. He's too old. And, you know, at the end of the day, is he is he too old? You know, we, especially on the Supercross and Motocross side, we're kind of seeno a shift here yeah. of of 30 guys, 30 plus guys, you we know, can, racing. We, we can take such good care of ourselves now. And really the peak, was it peak performance is in late 20s, early 30s. Mm-hmm. NASCAR guys, there's a, they say like after 43 there's a drop off, yeah. eyes, reactions, that kind of stuff. But up until 43, they're fine. Yeah. So on, the, I imagine for the physicality of this stuff, I'm guessing in the off road side though, if you're got your endurance and you're good on the bike and you're smooth, I'm guessing mid 30s. I'm sure you could probably still yeah. pump out some stuff. Yeah. Um, you're not gonna because you actually don't lose your endurance as you get older. Does pretty good. You lose the rabbit speed, mm-hmm. but you have the endurance capacity. Yeah. Kind of, I can go the same speed all day long. Now, if someone came up behind you and pushed you, and yeah, you may not, you be may able. not be able to drag onto them. But no, I, I feel, I feel like, why not test it? If he's still viable, yeah. I mean, to me, that should show his viability for a team for next year. Yes, because I believe this is a contract year for him. Yeah. So, and to speak on that point, which you just said. Mark Ansley, who raced 4x4B with me this year, who I just learned this year, and I will fully admit he has beat me at probably one or one or two, maybe two or three of the races this year. He told me he is 53 years old oh. racing 4x4B. And, you know, I was talking to him because I moved up to A-class this race just to test it out. I couldn't move. I finished third for the year, so I couldn't move up or down. So I was like, you know what, I'm racing it next year. Might as well get my feet wet, see what it's all about. And so I asked him before the race, or uh, on Friday, I said, are you moving up? He's like, I can't. You know, I just, I don't have the speed. Because he said exactly what you just said. He's like, you see the pace that I run. You look at my lap times. They are as consistent as consistent can be within seconds of each other every lap. He's like, I know I can run that pace and I can run that pace all race. He's like, but I can't keep up with you or another guy in my class, his name's Ashton, who's also the same age as me. He's like, I can't keep up with you guys when you're on it. Mm. I, just, I can't go any faster. Yeah. He said, I can go my pace and I can do it the whole race, yeah. but I physically cannot go any faster. And that may be the only downside for one of the top level double um, XC1 guys to say mm-hmm. double A. XC1 guys is they may have a pace that they're comfortable with and they're like, that's it. Yep. 
they're not willing to go or they're not willing to risk it anymore. It's a it's mental like, thing. I think it was a Justin Brayton's like, dude, I don't want to have to do this quad. I don't want to have to do this mm-hmm. quad. And you see somebody do the quad and all of a sudden you're like, I, well, I guess I, I got to do it. Or you do like Kevin Windham and you say, I'm done. Yeah. And in the off-road side, we don't have those quads, but you do have a section you're like, I can cruise through here. And you look at some young kid, he just goes, pop. And you're like, mm, how did you do that? <laughs> I'm not I'm not willing to take yeah. that risk. And maybe that's where the fall off is. But he ran his pace and he pulled one off. So that's that's awesome. And um, luckily in Florida, towards the end of off season, we'll get a, some of these pros yeah. down to come race. Um, Especially on the ATV What happened side. to Zach Osborne? He did one I'm lap sure. and that was it. And I don't know if he's still battling because at the last FTR race, but he didn't do very well. But then they went down to the uh, Motor Bros for the Gold Cup race. And he was. And he smoked yeah. everybody. So, <laughs> like, so I, I'm not too sure. On. But I know, excuse me, I know next year there's a, there's, it's written in his contract. He does have to move up to XC1, XC1. next year. Yeah. So even though he's done so poorly in XC2 this year, you know, I know he's had his injuries and yeah. stuff that have taken him out. But even though he's done poorly, he does have to go to XC1 next year, which I'll be curious to see what happens um, because he is riding the Yamaha. There is no midpoint between 250 and yeah. 450. You know, if he was on the Husky like he was, he could maybe ride the 350, get away with it. Because everybody says he's such a good 250 guy. He's yeah. not a good 450 guy. Ironically, he got the 450 motocross, motocross championship. Yeah. But everybody says he's better on the 250. So I'll, I'll actually be very curious next year to see what he does. Now, this is a tangent. What he shows up on. Will he show up on the 450? I think so because I think he can ride it easier. Especially in the woods, you lug it. Yeah. You just... I think... And, and he'll probably run the FX model. Gearing will be set. And... Yeah. He'll he'll be able to... They'll, they'll lower it. They'll drop it down. They'll, and he'll be able to probably plow through it like he did in the, like he did in the motocross. He yeah. just kind of... Did his thing and I, he, he wrote it. It's kind of like watching Jed on the 450 now. It's like, is he even trying? Yeah, so uh, I don't, insane. I don't, I don't think he's going to come in on the 450 side and and all of a sudden win the championship. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm hoping that it's a a change for him. Congratulations to Jesse Ansley. Finished the year yeah. with a good ride. He is, man. That guy, he's a nice kid. He's a really, really nice. Yeah. I had the chance to meet him. At the FTR, first FTR race, we talked for about, I don't know, 20 minutes. And really nice kid. He just, he was so damn good on the 125. And he jumped up to the 250. And it just hasn't worked. It just hasn't worked for him. And and I'm hoping that he's still having fun. And I'm hoping that he's riding. Like, he went and did the Motor Bros with, yeah. with Zach and actually had some decent finishes yeah. and yeah, I mean um, it looked like he was battling with them for a little bit and he did he did well like did he do perfect my my buddy Jason Crowley would be like man it's not good enough and and guess what I'm guessing he knows it's not good enough yeah but he's on his, he's on his own program he's got a good woman by his side mm-hmm. he he's driving you know driving the country racing yeah chase it while you can Absolutely. but uh last note for me one of our FTR babies is coming back home for a bit. Oh, who's that? After his world tour, Jack Chambers is going to be oh. visiting. And he said he's going to do some FTR races. We have an MX 
GP2 rider, or an MX2 rider, coming to race some FTR races yeah. on the off-season. I guess he's been re-signed. He's going to go back and do MX2 next year to travel the world and then come back to Auburndale, Florida, yeah. and do some FTR races. And um, I'd love to catch up with him because... That would be really cool. He also got to represent Puerto Rico at the Motocross the Nations. Finished ninth in the qualifying race. And then... That but Puerto Rico had to go to the B final, mm-hmm. and he was the only rider from Puerto Rico that lined up. I think Grant Harlan got hurt, and the mm-hmm. other guy. So he was the only guy that lined up, so they weren't going to qualify. Yeah. But uh, what a cool ride! And then all of a sudden, hey, I'm back in Barto doing FTR races. Yeah. Like it's just kind of funny to me. Like it's a, it's a small little world, and but what a great opportunity though. Yeah. To I mean. I, I'm not sure it's his situation. I'm not sure if the team's paying for stuff or if he's having to come out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Which, at the end of the day, it's fine either way. You're still getting the opportunity to travel. Because yeah. I believe the way the MXGPs work is there are no privateer efforts. I believe you, you have, have to be, to be on, on a team. team. Yeah, you have to be on so a team. So what a great opportunity to be able to, whether you're having to fork out money or not, be able to be on a team to you know, have the opportunities to travel the world yeah. racing your dirt bike. So, I mean, I wouldn't be too upset if I got to do that. I'd tell you that much. But So that's kind of what we're going to do. We're going to try to have some guests. We're going to have to work on our technology so that we can have some guests. And um, love to love to get a Brandon Fraser. Love to get a Jesse Ansley. Would love to get Jack Chambers while he's here yeah. to talk about his how he transitioned from the off-road world to Supercross to MXGP. Yeah. I just think those are cool. I'd love to get some of... The technicians on talking about Absolutely. technology um but if there's any questions anybody has you can always reach out to mj he's got a little bit of a presence on social media by the way he is a four four by four a rider and gncc and then you run just four by four class and yeah. fdr um for those that don't know on the side i am a 51 year old low level b rider i did ftr gncc i've done a couple mid-east I'm going to do as many uh, national enduros this year as I can, but my partner and I have sponsored a Supercross rider uh, for the East Coast, so there's going to be a lot of travel with that. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to get to see the backside of the Supercross life this year um, from the privateer pits. But uh, So I understand the off-road side. Um, I I enjoy the racing. I more enjoy the attitude, not the attitudes, I enjoy the people and the personalities of the off-road world, the racing world. So MJ is going to be my eyes and ears on the ground, and then hopefully we're going to set up some mm-hmm. interviews. Hell, we may even do an at-the-track podcast one day. That'd be cool. And just do sit around with people and throw the microphone around and, yeah. and do it that way. But we just wanted to get it started. Like I said, this is the first episode, the inaugural episode, but it's going to be titled 33.5. So um, our numbering will follow the MX Beyond the Curve podcast mm-hmm. numbering. So... Um, that being said, this is my second podcast this week already. Busy man. <laughs> Busy man. Busy but, uh, man. For MJ Adonis. Um, oh, by the way, we don't have any sponsors. It's always brought to you by Michelle and Trey Real Estate. We don't have any sponsors, but is there any personal sponsors before we leave? Because you do get represented by companies. Is there anybody you want to shout out before we leave? Yeah, so absolutely. Um, fresh off the gate, we're wearing um, Derisi Racing. Uh, Santo, James, Glenn, the whole crew over there, they're a big help. 
um, with anything, you know, anything quad related. I'm not sure if they dabble too much on the dirt bike side, but um, anything quad related, uh, they're actually going to be, this hasn't really been released out yet. So um, what better place to release it? They will be hauling my bike to and from the races for me next year. I will be almost on a factory program funded by myself and <laughs> factory program funded by myself and some other it happens, uh, personal it sponsors world. That's fine. so um that'll be really cool um dp brakes of course um get they do uh dirt bikes and quads so anything you need brakes wise i believe they also do clutches as well um but of course they're more known for their brakes and just fly racing just a bunch of miscellaneous people. Everybody that helps out the program. Um, a lot of personal people near and dear to me that help me out that maybe don't want to shout out, you know, but. Um, you can pick a couple sponsors each week. Yeah. And, and you can highlight them. That'd be kind of cool. Like, talk about You can have, stuff. like, a different shirt on every week, and hey. that's the sponsor highlight for you the can, week. You can highlight, because I have no sponsors. Whatever I want to buy, I buy. <laughs> and, and I have no one that pays my bills except for the lady inside. That, But, uh. For my sponsor, it's the Polo Teddy Bear Socks. That's your sponsor for the week? That's my sponsor for the week, Polo Teddy Bear Socks. And so that is my sponsor. Obviously, we're always brought to you by Michelle and Trey Real Estate. Without that company, none of this would Absolutely. be possible for us to do. So um, other than that, this was episode one of, hold on, it's going to get long, the Beyond the Curb, the MX podcast goes off-road. Booyah. Episode 33 and a half. We will update you on Mideast. I'm actually going to try to go to the FTR race on Sunday, watch uh, the afternoon race. Mm -hmm. um, I've got some business, the Michelle and Trey real estate stuff in the morning. But we'll try to bring you a recap from the FTR at the Mideast. And You're also doing something pretty cool on Saturday morning. I'm going to go watch a cross-country meet. Yeah, that's watch, different. Watch, yeah. I want to watch any type of racing watch we like here. horsepower on feet. <laughs> so, but... uh. And then I'm going to go to Dade City and watch the Great Pumpkin Race, mm -hmm. the Pro Race, hang out and watch some Pee Wees. Sunday, go to the FTR Race. So, busy weekend. And the motocross side will be a full update on Monday on the Beyond the Curve the MX podcast. We will we are going to dive deep into... And that will be episode that 34. 34. So, so, if you want motocross, again, whole number. If you want cross country, half number yep. with the .5. <laughs> and if you want both, then watch them all. Yep. That works for me too. Yep. So, but thank you all. The inaugural episode, MJ. Thank you. Welcome aboard. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, now you're not a guest host anymore. You're actually co-host. So I feel so honored. Hey. Thank you very much. <laughs> and we will talk to you all next week. Bye bye.